Are you ready for true happiness, for deep fulfillment, for feeling alive, on purpose, and in control of your life again? It's time to be the bold, brilliant, beautiful woman you were born to be. Welcome to the Purpose Girl Podcast. I'm women's happiness and life purpose expert, Karen Rockhind, and I'm going to teach you how to live on purpose, feel alive, and be happy in every aspect of life. I'm going to get real about my life and interview women who are living on purpose so that you can finally live yours. Welcome to the show. I want to begin today with a simple question. Are you happy? Are you happy? Maybe for you, you had an easy answer. No, that's why I'm listening to this podcast. Or maybe for you, it's a bit more complex. You know, like one of my clients who has two beautiful young children who make her so happy And yet she is in a terrible marriage, a destructive marriage. And she is so unhappy with her children's father. She feels guilty about wanting to leave him. And so it's causing this dark cloud around her of unhappiness. Or maybe for you, you are in a job that is just sucking your soul. And you just know you're here for something else, but you don't know what that is or even how to begin figuring that out. And it's making you unhappy. So it seems like it should be such a simple question with a simple answer. It's not. We have this desire for happiness. We want happiness. And most of us don't know how to get it and how to keep it in our lives, no matter what is going on. And God knows there is a lot going on in our world today. So today's episode is all about how to be happy. It's all about what happiness is, what it isn't, what the research says are six components of happiness, purpose power tips at the end of the podcast that will allow you to today make intentional choices to be happier in your own life. Before I begin, though, I would be remiss in talking about happiness if I didn't at least acknowledge the truth that it can be really hard to be happy today. I mean, just last night I was watching the news and there was news about another mass shooting. There was news about a dictator around the globe who's making people miserable, about politicians who are lying to us. I mean, it's not so easy sometimes to be happy in our world today. I poured myself another glass of Cabernet and I was like, no, no, just keep the bottle here, right? It could be hard to be happy when there's so much hardship. Not to mention just all the regular day annoyances. Like this morning, I opened my stepson's door to wake him up for school and there is a ton of dirty laundry right in front of the door. There's some old glass of milk next to his bed. I have no idea how long it's been there. Three or four bags of chips that were open and spilling out. And I was like, oh, how can I be happy? How do I teach happiness with this? Right? It can be hard to be happy. It's hard to be happy when my husband and I argue about finances or when I look in the mirror in the morning and there's a new pimple or five new gray hairs. A couple of years ago, I joined a new book club and I drive up to this big, beautiful home and I walk into the front door and there's this, it's warm and it's cozy, beautiful white furniture and gorgeous rugs and throw pillows. And I meet these incredible women, women who seem to quote unquote have it all. I mean, several of them were doctors or therapists, a couple were artists. These women all had healthy children. I mean, they really seem to have, quote unquote, it all. But as I started describing what I do for a living, that I empower women to be happier, to know their purpose and go for it, 
you could hear a pin drop. One by one, they all started sharing. They just weren't happy. So we are in the middle of a happiness epidemic. If you listen to the first episode, I talked about how women are twice as likely to be depressed as men. And for the first time in 30 years, women are less happy than our counterparts 30 years ago. We have more choice. We have better jobs, more capability to do whatever we want. And yet we're not as happy. And something has to change. I mean, this is not okay. We're literally in the middle of crisis. And I'm going to do everything I can with my podcast and with my speaking and with my coaching and my work to shift that. And I want us all to be part of this community that say no more. But really, we're in the middle of, of a, mid- a collective midlife crisis, right? I mean, the midlife crisis for men always looked like, you know, the Corvette and maybe choosing a divorcing his wife and choosing somebody 30 years younger than him. I mean, that like this gross picture, right? And I'm going to talk about midlife crisis at least on one episode, if not several, because it looks totally different for women. Research is so clear that for women, our midlife crisis is all about identity. Outside of my children, who am I? Or getting to a point in your life, in your 40s, where you say, this is not what I thought my life would look like. So I'm going to do at least one, if not a few episodes on the midlife crisis and how we can overcome it, how we can choose that midlife doesn't have to be a crisis. It can be a catalyst for our best life. But what I just described, let's say you're in your 30s and you're listening to this, you might be like, that's totally me, Karen. I've got a good relationship. I've got a good job, but I still feel like something is missing. So now we have something called the third life crisis. Totally understandable. And we even have the quarter life crisis. Maybe you're listening to this and you're in your 20s. A few years ago, I spoke on a panel called Quarter Life Crisis, and I'm in a room with beautiful, inspiring, talented women in their 20s, 25, 27, 28, and they felt the same as we do, as I do, as I have, in my, when I felt this way in my 30s or when I felt this way in my 40s. Here we are collectively trying to do everything. I mean, research is clear about this. Women are trying to do everything, whether work, family, still doing more of the um, personal chores with kids and with home, trying to have like this career, trying to keep up with taking care of elderly parents. And we're trying to do it all with perfectly manicured fingernails and it's not working. For most women, trying to be perfect is really leading to us being unhappy. And we look at these pictures on Instagram or Facebook and everyone else's kids are perfect angel darlings on Facebook. And no, that is not true. That's just what they're posting. So we have this sense that our lives are not good enough, that we are not good enough. And it just perpetuates a story that likely started when you were younger. We're trying to do everything perfectly and look perfect doing it and it's not working The Center for Disease Control and Prevention, the CDC, even says that their use of antidepressants in the United States is growing. So we've got people who are having a midlife, third life, quarter life crisis younger and younger. We've got antidepressants on the rise. We've got women today less happy than our counterparts 30 years ago. What is going on? We have more than we have ever had, but we are not happy. So what is going on? Well, this is the exact question that led to my field, positive psychology. Positive psychology is the scientific study of what makes life worth living, the scientific study of human flourishing, of happiness. 
And some people might say, well, why do we need a science of happiness? It's because none of us know how to do it. We need to understand happiness. And I want to take you back to the late 90s when the field began. So here in the United States, and I really believe in most of kind of Western, more affluent society, that we have this idea that if I just had greater success, it will make me happier. If I have money, it will make me happier, right? When I do a talk, I'll often ask the parents in the room, what do you want for your children? And they all in unison say, I want them to be happy. And yet, what do we teach in schools? How to be successful, how to get the A, how to beat out the other people in class, how to be above average, right? If we tell somebody these days that they are average, it, it causes like some sort of crises. I don't want to be told I'm average. I want to be above average. But statistically, we can't all be above average. We are basing our happiness on being successful. If I just had a bigger title, if I just had a better car, if I just had a bigger home, if I just had a husband, if I just had more money. And there's this question, does money make us happier? And so here we were in the late 90s, where I don't know if you remember this, but it was the dot-com boom. And all these like people were starting dot-coms and they were becoming millionaires. I left my pretty steady job to go to a dot-com that was just starting up. And I remember taking the job offer and running around the living room saying, I'm going to be a millionaire. I'm going to be a millionaire. Right? The company only lasted three months. But it was this time of dot-com boom. There was more money in the United States and in Western worlds than there had ever been. So money was on the rise. And guess what else was? Depression. And so here in Western wisdom where we have thought success leads to happiness, money leads to happiness, then why when there was more success and more money were we less happy? So here a tenured professor at the University of Pennsylvania was president of the American Psychological Association in 1998 and he stood before his colleagues in his annual address and he said, folks, we have done people a disservice. We have focused so much on illness that we have forgotten about wellness. And the absence of illness is not wellness. Just because someone is not diabetic are they necessarily happy? So if you don't have diabetes, I don't have diabetes. Am I necessarily healthy? No, right? I've got to do things, intentional things to make me healthier. I've got to eat well. I've got to exercise. Well, the same thing is true for your mental health. The same thing is true for your emotional health. So positive psychology, the scientific study of happiness, asks basically what is the equivalent of the salad for your mental health? What's the equivalent of the treadmill for your emotional health? How do we become our best selves? Think about the most asked question in the world. Like, what do you think the most asked question in the whole world is? Well, I don't have a research study to back this up, but I'm guessing it's, how are you? So we ask everybody this question, how are you? And what do most people answer? Fine. Okay, good. So on a scale of negative 10 to positive 10, where is fine? Where is good? Maybe a three? Maybe a four or five? But I'll go back again if you're a parent or you might think of a niece or nephew or just think of your younger self or just yourself now. Like how many of us want to live at a three? 
Who wants to live at a four? Who wants to just be fine? When we can be thriving. And so what positive psychology asks, the science of happiness asks, is how do we move from a plus three to a plus eight? What would a plus seven look like? And how can I be more intentional in my life and get that? This is the opportunity. So whereas traditional psychology has always really said someone who is ill, who has a clinical illness of depression or anxiety or post-traumatic stress disorder, and I, by the way, have had those diagnoses in my life, so this is not a rip on that. I have needed psychologists and medication to be able to bring me up to baseline zero. And once we're at baseline zero or once you're at a plus two, what the science of happiness does is tell us How do I flourish? How do I thrive? How do I get to that plus eight or plus nine or even plus six? Most of us think of happiness as a simple emotion or a mood. So you're evaluating happiness in the moment, right? And we're like evaluating every moment. Did that make me happy? Would this make me happy? And that actually leads to more unhappiness. In philosophy, happiness translates to the Greek concept of eudaimonia which refers to the good life or flourishing. And think about like a lotus flower that opens up in the mud, right? Think about that blossoming flourishing. It's growing, it's expanding, it's becoming bigger, it's taking up its space, it's becoming beautiful. That's what each of us can do. So we wanna think of happiness more like a state of well-being, of flourishing rather than a simple emotion. Barbara Fredrickson, one of the top positive psychologists in the world, really the researcher who has researched positive emotions and why we have them and what does joy do for us and what does inspiration do for us. She has a theory on happiness about micro moments of positivity, micro moments of positivity. Like maybe you have a micro moment of positivity interacting with the barista at Starbucks or a micro moment of positivity dancing to your favorite song in the car or a micro moment of positivity interacting with your niece or your nephew. And she says we can string together these micro moments of positivity and that's happiness. The fact is that we actually know that we have more happy moments than unhappy moments, but there's something in psychology called the negativity bias. And this gets back to our brain. So the way our brain works, we actually have three different brains inside of our brain and our base brain, the one that is closest to our nervous system, is also called the reptilian brain because reptiles have it too. And it's really the brain that is responsible just for movement and for your basic bodily functions. And it is the part of your brain that is always looking out for threat, right? Lizards, other animals, we all have to be on the lookout for threat. So basically, we're all kind of on the lookout for negativity. Think about our ancestors way back, thousands of years ago, they were wandering people and they had to be looking out, are there saber-toothed tigers? Do we have enough food for the next few days? Can I eat that berry? Is it poisonous or is it, is it, is it safe? Is it healthy? How do I get more food for my family? So they were constantly on the lookout for threat, constantly on the lookout for, they had to worry. And that's why actually worrying feels good to us. We get a little like boost when we worry. And so we all had like this tendency to go toward negativity instead of toward positivity. Left to its own devices, your brain will be a worrying, fearful machine. And guess what? Your brain thinks it is being your best 
friend when it is doing that. Your brain is just doing its job. If you, if something that makes you unhappy is that your brain is going crazy, 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 and believe me, mine does too, your brain's just doing its job, but it's not making us happy. So this is why we have to get at those micro moments of positivity and be very intentional with them. Be very intentional with our mind. Be very intentional with our life. The thing is that most of us are looking for some sort of silver bullet to happiness, right? If I get that promotion, then I'll be happy. If I get that bigger job, then I'll be happy. If I finally have a boyfriend, then I'll be happy. If I were thinner, I would be happy. But more than 100 research studies actually show that the opposite is true. It's not that success leads to happiness. It's that happier people are more successful. Happier people are more likely to get promoted. Happier people get better evaluations from their customers, their peers, their supervisors. Happier people make more money. Happier people get less colds. Happier people have less cardiovascular disease. Happier people are more likely to be happily married for longer. Happiness comes first. Happiness comes first. So what we actually need to do is to take control of our happiness. Now, this might sound a lot easier to say than to do. I totally get that. And you might be thinking, you don't have a choice in your happiness. Here is the good news. Happiness is totally in your control. Research done with twins who were separated at birth looked at what can these twins tell us about whether happiness comes from nature, who you are at your core, or nurture how you were raised. And here is what these researchers found. They found that a certain percentage of your happiness is based on your genetics. And basically what your genetics do, your genetics give you a set point. They give you like a range. So you could be at the top of your range or the bottom of your range. Let's say you have depression in your family. Let's say that you have um, anxiety in your family. So you're gonna have a range and for lack of a, a better analogy, we'll just call that range anywhere from a negative 10 to a plus 10. Okay, so some of us have a range of, you know, uh, 2 to plus 18, and some have a negative 10 to a plus 10. So you have some sort of range. That range is determined by your genetics. And then they also found that a piece of your happiness, and you might be thinking, well, that's nice, but I was raised, you know, I had abusive parents. You know, several of my clients had alcoholic parents. One of my clients was raised where her mother was abused, her grandmother was abused, her aunts were all abused. You might be thinking that your happiness is based on the color of your skin or your gender or your sexual orientation, something that is out of your control that is just a life circumstance. What the researchers found is only about 10% of your happiness is based on that. So we've got the genetic range which is about 50% of the difference between people. It's the genetic range. And then we've got about 10% from your circumstances. So the good news is that 40% of your happiness, 40% of your happiness is totally in your control. Now, it might not seem like 40% is a lot, but if someone walked in here right now with 40% of a pizza, I'd be pretty happy. I would eat it. I'd be really happy. Or someone walked in with 40% of an apple pie, especially if they had vanilla ice cream on the side, I'd be like, yeah, super happy. That 40% is what gets us to the top of our range. And think about everything that you get to control in life. 
you get to control what you eat. And yes, I would have the pizza and the pie. And I make sure to have greens every single day. You get to control if you move your body. And I know you're super busy. You don't have time for it. And maybe you can start taking walking meetings. And when you are, instead of sitting and watching TV, maybe you can walk around the house and watch TV. You get to control who you spend time with. Most of us have relationships in our lives that like totally suck the energy out of us and drain us. But you are in control of how often you answer the phone when that person calls. You are in control of how long you stay on the phone with that person. And you're in control of finding new friends, new people to spend time with. And I know usually that energy sucker is someone you're related to, so it's a little bit harder. And you're in control of your boundaries. You're in control of how much you let them get to you. You're in control of what you do for a living and where you work. This one always blows people away. I will say this when I'm speaking at a company because most people think about it like you wake up in the morning, your alarm goes off, and it's like, oh, I have to go to work today. Oh, I have to go to work today. Actually, you don't. You have a choice. We all have a choice, and we could choose, no, I'm not going to work today. And then you might think, no, I have to feed my family, and I have to pay for my mortgage. Yep. So we live in a society where we do need money. But you get to choose how you make that money. And if you don't like what you're doing, choose something else. Set yourself a goal where a year from now or two years from now, you're going to be out. And in the meantime, you really work on what is it that you'd rather do. Maybe you finally start that side hustle, that side gig of making jewelry or selling essential oils or whatever it is that you have been thinking about or writing the book and give yourself a two-year deadline to be out You have control over pretty much everything in your life. Now, there are going to be a lot of circumstances, natural disasters, politics that you might not like, annoyances from your kids, your partner, your friends, your job, but you have control over how you think. And this is something we are going to talk a lot about on this podcast, that you have control over how you think, and I'm going to give you tools and teach you tools to think differently. What the research shows are that there are six aspects of happiness that we know from the people who are truly flourishing in their lives. And I'm going to go over the six aspects so that you can begin to implement these in your own life. The acronym is PERMA-V. The P stands for positivity, positive emotions. So what we know are that the happiest people have more positive emotions than negative emotions. Now, that might seem like pretty simplistic. Of course they do. But this is where we go back to those micro moments of happiness and being intentional, where every day you are taking note of what was good. You're writing it down. You're sharing it with somebody else. You are intentionally noticing what was good. In fact, research is really clear. People who write down three things that they are grateful for every day for a month have lasting benefit up to six months. So positive emotions. And some of my favorite positive emotions are inspiration. Who inspires you? What inspires you? Go read about those people or go ask them for coffee or, in, or interest. What are some topics that you're interested in? Are you interested in World War history from you know, 1920 to 1938? Go find a book on it. Make time for it. Positive emotions. P. The second is engagement. 
And engagement has to do with being present in your life. Think about how fast we are all going. I was speaking to a group of women lawyers and talking about this concept of being present in your life and how we know that that leads to happiness. And this woman raised her hand and she said, oh my God, last night I was bathing my child, I was bathing my little girl and on my phone looking at email the whole time. I could totally feel her because I know I've done the same thing when my beloved husband is talking to me and I'm scrolling through Instagram. So we need to be engaged in our lives. We need to be present. Engagement also has to do with doing work that you love, that lights you up, that fills you with joy, that you want to do. With having hobbies where you lose track of time, whether for you that is rock climbing or it is knitting or it is gymnastics. God, I have a client who, when we went through this, she used to love gymnastics as a kid, but she gave it up feeling not good enough. So as a 40-something-year-old woman, she is now taking tumbling classes, and it is like the pride and joy of her week. Engagement. The next one is R, relationships. The research is so clear about this, that people who are flourishing in life, they all have positive, healthy, good relationships. And this is where you need to get control of your boundaries with people who are unhealthy for you and find groups of people Find your tribe, find sisterhoods that don't just vent, don't just get together and talk about what's wrong, don't just gossip, but find people who inspire you, people who lift you up, people who believe in you and encourage you to be your best self and to go for it. This is why I create sisterhoods. I began this work only doing individual coaching and then the first time I had a group, I saw the power of the group encouraging each other and that that was the true power that led one woman to write a book, led three women to start businesses. I mean, this was it, that she had other women around her saying, you can do it. So R stands for relationships. The M stands for meaning and purpose. What we know, and this is why I'm so purpose obsessed, is that even on the crappiest day, and we all have crappy days, I cannot take those away from you. I can't take them away from me. We will all have crappy days. We will all have hard stuff happen. I mean, I just recently had a second miscarriage. Hard stuff happens. And what we know from the research are people who feel like their lives have purpose, that they have something bigger that they're here for, Even on the crappiest days, they still have life satisfaction. You still feel like your life is gratifying. That's why I'm so in love with meaning and purpose. And I believe that we all are here for purpose. And we all can explore it. And we all can live it. The next one is A, and it stands for achievement. Achieving feels good. Achievement is the antidote to depression. Action is the antidote to depression. Right? So... It can be small achievement. It can be big achievement. What I'm talking about here is not when you get an award, like getting an award for something you've done is amazing. But what I'm talking about here is day-to-day achievements where you had two things on your list that you checked off and you celebrate good on me because I had a busy day. I had to take care of 100,000 people, but I achieved those two goals that I wanted to. So these are small goals. This is feeling like you are taking action. Right? How long have you sat with an idea to start a music business? Or how long have you sat with an idea to become an exercise instructor? Or how long have you sat with an idea about putting your jewelry up on Etsy? Taking small action 
is how to get out of depression. So the first step is you create a username on Etsy and that's enough for one day and then you celebrate the heck out of it. A for achievement. And the last one is a V for vitality. That you have physical vitality, you are getting enough sleep. Sleep is so important to your happiness and your well-being and your ability to control your reactions and your emotions and how you interact with people. That you are feeding your body good, healthy food. That you are moving your body. Our early ancestors walked between 5 and 12 miles a day. So our brains are literally designed to be in constant movement and constant motion. And what are we doing? We're sitting all the time. It is making us more depressed. It, and it actually is reducing our lifespan. And it's certainly reducing the quality of our lives. So we need to be sure that we are moving. So the aspects are called PERMA-V. PERMA-V. And you can incorporate these aspects into your life at any time. Which gets me to my three purpose power tips for today. Number one, I want you to evaluate PERMA-V in your own life. So purpose power tip number one, evaluate. How are you doing positivity versus negativity? How are you doing being engaged in your life? How are you doing with a sense of achievement? How are you doing physical vitality? No judgment, no self-blame, no judgment, because we're going to get to purpose power tips two and three to make changes, but just evaluate. Information is power. Self-awareness is power. The more self-aware you are, the more you can start to make intentional change in your life. So this is just self-awareness. Purpose power tip number two. I want you to identify one thing, one thing you could do in each of those areas, each of those PERMA-V areas that would improve your life. And purpose power tip number three, I want you to do one of them this week. That's it. Purpose power tips one, two, and three. Do that this week. Let me know how it goes. Email me. Karen at KarenRockheim.com. And let's continue the conversation. And please, if you enjoy this podcast, please share it with women that you know. Let's grow our sisterhood of women who are choosing to take a stand for women's happiness and women's purpose. If you enjoyed it, please leave a positive review at iTunes. Please download it. And the link is going to be in show notes. I have loved being with you today. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you for listening. Thank you for being part of this community. Together, we are going to live purposefully, we are going to love ourselves, and we are going to love life. Bye for now.